Imagine trying to take a trip. You have no directions as to how to get there. And you have no GPS system available to you. Now, I know that seems almost impossible this day and age, but you have no GPS system, no directions, you just have a destination, and you're trying to reach it without directions and without a GPS. What probably is going to happen? You're going to get good and lost, and you're going to spend some time getting lost. Now, imagine if you have a GPS system, and you plug in the address, but then you pay no attention at a certain time to the GPS system. You just sort of start flying on your own, even though you got the GPS system right in front of you. What's going to happen then? Probably going to get lost again. Now, I am a guy, and part of being a guy is that you don't like taking directions. I mean, that's just part of it. Even when you don't know where you're going, you pretend that you know where you were going. And this past summer, we were on a trip somewhere, and my wife and son were in the car, and the GPS system was guiding us. And I decided at a certain point, and we were just going along fine, but I decided at a certain point that I didn't need the GPS system anymore, that I knew on my own where I was going. So I proceeded on, taking the turns and so forth the way I felt they should be, and it wasn't long before the GPS system and I were in disagreement with each other about where we should be going, but I knew I knew more than that GPS did about where we should be going, and uh, I began to get lost, and I did the main thing. I didn't acknowledge that I was lost. I particularly did not want my wife and my son to recognize that I was lost. Uh, Wives, have your husbands ever done anything like that or close uh, to that? And uh, then I begin to do the next man thing. I begin to get mad. I begin to get mad that I was lost. I begin to get mad with the GPS system because this smart aleck woman kept telling me, turn around, you're going in the wrong direction, um, etc. And then finally my son, in his diplomatic way, says, Dad, uh, we got a problem, don't we? And uh, I had to acknowledge, uh, yeah, we got a problem. I haven't been following the GPS and... Therefore, uh, I've gotten lost, and if I listened to the GPS and that smart like woman on the other side of that, then uh, we would have been uh, okay. Well, folks, in the journey of life, God has given us a GPS system, and it is His Word, the Bible. In fact, I want to refer to it as God's positioning system. His Word is His positioning system for our lives. And so often as we go through life, we've got the Bible physically speaking around us. It's in our home. It may be on your phone. But we often do a good job of ignoring the GPS for life that He has given us. A lot of times when we get in jams in life, That's when we reference it. But day to day, in what we might call small decisions, we don't bother to consult the GPS. And often, God is sometimes saying to us in that persistent, nagging voice, 
this is what I want you to do. This is where you need to go. This is how I want you to re- lead your life. And sometimes when we pick the Bible up and we read it, it sort of irritates us and grits on our nerves because it's sort of confronting us and convicting us about the decisions that we're making and the direction we're going in. And God is trying to say, turn around and get a course correction. And we don't want to admit that we're lost in life. But if we will listen and reference His GPS system, God's positioning system, then we will reach the destination and enjoy the journey. It's both. It's not just reaching the destination. It is enjoying the journey that God has for us. If you turn with me to the 119th Psalm, the 119th Psalm, as we will see that His way, how He guides us in His Word, His positioning system, His way, must be our way. The 119th Psalm in verse 9. As you turn there, the 119th Psalm, the focus of this Psalm is in its entirety the Word of God. Almost every verse in one way or another makes reference to this Psalm. It is a unique Psalm and that is that it is the longest in the book of Psalms. It is arranged in 22 stanzas according to the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. In fact, each section of the 22 sections of this psalm start or are labeled with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. We're not sure who the author is of this psalm. There are a litany of references in this psalm to the Word of God referred to as the law, the testimonies, the ways, and the precepts of God. Alexander McLaren observed about this song, quote, It's like a great violinist who had but one string to play upon. But out of that string, he brought perfect music. The psalm is a prayer. It is a prayer for steadfastness in the midst of an ungodly and degenerate age and the trouble that the writer here was facing. And he says, fidelity to the direction that God wants to give us through his word is the highest virtue that we can have in life. Now, verse 9 is the verse we're going to focus on, and it's in a question and answer format. How can... A young man keep his way pure? There's the question. Simple answer. By guarding it according to your word. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Now I'm in a series of messages on favorite verses, eternal truths. And the eternal truth that we see in this passage is that the way we can keep our way pure is by guarding the direction of our life according to the Word of God. My sermon outline is included in your bulletin, and I invite you, if you will, to follow along with me. Now, how do we live His way? How do we live this good life that He wants to give us and that He's speaking speaking of here? Well, notice what He says. How can a young man keep his way pure? The question is addressed to young men. Of course, the truth of this passage applies <coughs> excuse me, to any and every age group. But specifically here, it is addressed to young folks. And why is it addressed to young people? Because the decisions that we make when we are young and the habits that we form when we are young are often the habits that will guide us for the rest of our lives and those decisions will impact us. For the rest of our lives. It's Satan's lie where he says to us, Oh, blow off the Lord. Don't worry about him. 
don't get serious about Jesus until you get to be older. Just sort of live your life while you're young and do whatever you want to. The reason Satan perpetrates that is that he's trying to rob us in life of the good things that God wants to give us. And one of the lies that Satan has been so proficient at is saying that God doesn't really have anything for you when you're young. Or if you follow the Lord and you serve Him while you're young, then the result of that is going to be that you're not going to have any fun. What Satan is really trying to do is get you to make a series of bad decisions and wrong decisions that you will live with and regret for the rest of your life and could potentially set you up for difficulty for the rest of your life. And so the psalmist here says, listen, when you're young, keep, how do you keep your way pure? One of the reasons that I believe the devil tries to knock us off when we are young is because every great revival, that is outpouring of the Holy Spirit in church history, just about every one has begun among young people. We talked this morning in the children's message about sending a team to Italy. <coughs> and we talked Sunday after Sunday about missions and missionaries. The history of the modern missionary movement began with a group of college-age young men. Let me tell you their story. And if you will be patient with me as I preach, because I am fighting hay fever or something, which is keeping me coughing and all that kind of good stuff. So if I stop periodically and drink water, you'll understand. And if I get excited while I'm preaching, it's not because I've got Franklin County Special in this. All right, so I want to... Clarify that. In 1806, five Williams College students met in that summer in the state of Massachusetts <coughs> near the Hoosack River in a place known as Sloan's Meadow. And they began to discuss the scriptures. As they were discussing it, a storm began to come on the scene, and they had to take shelter in a haystack. Those students were Samuel J. Mills, James Richards, Francis L. Robbins, Harvey Loomis, and Brian Green. And when they went to that haystack to take shelter from that storm, they began to pray. And as they began to pray, to quote it says, in effect, in the persons of its members, a mission to those who were not Christians. As they began to pray, God began to speak to those young men about the need to send missionaries to tell people about Jesus. Five college students who essentially had no money, but as they prayed, they began to hear a call from God in their hearts and their minds. And they came away from that prayer meeting, and as they left that haystack, they were determined to do something about it. In 1808, two years later, they formed a group called the Brethren in an effort to send out missionaries. By 1812, the organization that they had formed sent its first missionaries to the Indian subcontinent. In the first 50 years of the organization these five guys formed, first 50 years, they sent out 1,250 missionaries. Samuel Mills played a definitive role in forming the American Bible Society, which has been used of God to literally send the gospel of Jesus Christ 
through copies of the Word of God literally around the world. That all started with five young men praying in a field in a haystack. And God used them to start what we know today as the modern missionary movement. In fact, all of mission work among Protestants of the last hundred plus years is traced back to that haystack prayer meeting. And that is why he says here in verse 9, How can a young man keep his way pure? Why should a young man keep his way pure? Because those guys, because they kept their way pure, God used them to send out hundreds and hundreds of missionaries. You see, young folks, and I just can't say this to you strong enough, God wants to take your life and God wants to use your life in a powerful way. And He doesn't want to wait till you're in your 20s or in your 30s or in your 40s or your 50s to do that. And when Satan slips up and whispers in your ear and says, put it off, put it off, put it off. God doesn't have anything for you when you're young. Look at the devil and just say, you're lying your head off to me. God's got a will for me. God's got a plan for me. And God wants to use my life. And the years that God's going to give me and the decades that God's going to give me, they belong to Jesus. And I want to use them to the honor of Jesus and the glory of Jesus. And you will be shocked and surprised at how God uses your life. You will also arrive into your 40s and your 50s and your senior years and look back not with regrets. But you will look back at how God has taken you, how God has used you. You can in your mind and even physically go and visit Folks and neighborhoods where God's taken your life and God has used your life. And your life can then become just a journey and a history of the places and the people that God has taken you. And God has used you to His glory. Now it says, how can a young man keep his way pure? The way word translated way there is a Hebrew word that means a well-trodden road. It speaks of the habits that we form. The habits that we form, how we get up and go about every day, that's what determines the direction of our lives. It's not doing something good here or something good there. It's those things that we do every day over and over and over again. And he's saying here, how can our habits stay pure? How can what we do over and over and over again that forms that pattern of how we live, how can that stay pure? Now, the word that's translated pure is a fascinating Hebrew word. It means to pick the eye. The root of that word means to pick the eye. What in the world is he talking about? Have you ever gotten something in your eye? The two things will happen. If you get something in your eye, it will irritate you no end. I mean, if something's in our eye, we just become consumed with trying to get it out of our eye. But the other thing is, if it's big enough and it stays in there long enough, it begins to affect our vision. We can't see well. Stays in there long enough, we're not going to be able to see out of the eye at all. So when he says, how can a young man keep his way pure? What he's saying is, how can we keep our vision, the vision of our life, the vision of our heart, clear to where we can see the will of God, live the will of God, see the Lord, and experience the Lord. How do we keep the eye of our soul clear? How do we keep the eye of our soul clean? We got to keep our focus on Jesus. Just that simple. Think about some of the folks of Scripture. 
their stories. Judas. Judas followed Jesus for three and a half years, and Judas was the treasurer. And Judas carried the money bag around with him. And somewhere along the line with Judas, he began to look at the money more than he did Jesus. Now follow me on this. Judas lived for three and a half years with Jesus within breathing distance of him. It was not a lack of distance and separation from Jesus. He went to bed at nighttime and saw Jesus before he went to sleep. He woke up in the morning and he saw Jesus first thing when he got up. He had Jesus with him all the time, but he also had that money in his hand. And he began to look at the money and value the money more than he did Jesus. And so he sold Jesus out to get more money. And at the end of his day, and the end of his life, he went out and hung himself. It wasn't for a lack of proximity to Jesus. It was where the focus of his life began that tore him down. And you see, we can have Bibles in our house. We can have the Scriptures on our phones. We can come to church every Sunday. But if little by little the focus of our life becomes something else other than Jesus, then we're going to get in trouble. We can be close to Him, and yet our heart can be getting farther and farther away from Him. Think about David, the great king of Israel. God had called him to be king. God had anointed him to be king. God had blessed him. And he was at the zenith of his power. Whatever David said happened. God had been faithful and fulfilled every promise, taking him from being a shepherd boy to the leader of the most powerful nation at that time on the face of the earth. And one night while his troops were out in battle, David went out to look over the city of Jerusalem. And he let his eye wander down to the bathing area, which he could see looking down on. And he saw a beautiful young woman come out in Bathsheba. And she began to take her clothes off and then to bathe. And David's glance became a stare, which became a fixation. And lust began to take over him. And the God that he had followed and he had served as a shepherd boy, the God that he had heard a call from to become king, the God that he had walked with, got farther and farther away. Now, was God leaving him? Was God far from him? No. God was as much around David as he'd ever been. But David's focus changed that night. He wasn't looking at Yahweh anymore. He was looking at Bathsheba. And Bathsheba became more important to him than the Lord God. Bathsheba became more important to him than his relationship with the Lord, lust began to take over his heart. You see, I don't care how far we've gone with the Lord and how closely we've walked with Him, if we don't discipline ourselves to stay focused on Him, we can and we'll walk away from Him. Just because the journey in the past has been good is not a guarantee that we're going to stay close to Him for the future. And David sent out the word, bring Bathsheba up to me. And he committed adultery with her. Then he had to knock off her husband and try to cover off his sins. So then he committed second degree murder. And on it went because of the decision that he had made. The eye of his soul got dirty. But I want to leave you negative. Think about John, the disciple. I love John because it's always, every time you see a reference to John, he's just as close to Jesus as he can be. And when Jesus was taken to the cross and he was crucified, all the other disciples saw fear 
But John saw Jesus, and he alone went to the cross. He stood at the foot of the cross, and he looked up at Jesus, and Jesus looked down at John, and he said, John, my mother is standing beside you. I'm dying. John, you take care of my mother. I'm committing my mother to your care. You see, the lesson we learn in that is that if we keep our eyes on Jesus, if the eye of our soul stays pure and we keep our focus on Him, He sees it, He keeps His eye on us, and He will commit to us an opportunity to serve Him that is totally awesome. Now, He says, how do you keep your way pure? How do you make his way your way? Notice the next term there. He says, by guarding the word, guarding your life according to his word. The word that's translated guarding there in the Hebrew means to keep something like you would keep a garden. If you keep a good garden, what do you do? You work at it every day. You're out there pulling out the weeds. You're out there cultivating it. You work at it every day. It's sort of like the phrase that athletes use about they stay at their game. That means they practice every day. And that idea there is that we give careful attention to where his word is in our lives every day. We do that because, number one, we value our lives. I can't say this enough. The more I value my life the life God has given me, the days, the years, the months that God gives me, the more I'm going to spend time with the Word and live in the Word because the Word of God safeguards my life. That I do a value. Secondly, I trust God, His Word, and His direction. You see, when you turn that GPS system on and you get going, you got to trust the GPS system. you got to trust that irritating voice on the other end of that system. And what I have to do with the Word of God is I can't just say this is nice stuff. I have to say I am trusting what God is saying. And I'm trusting what God says more than what I say. I'm trusting what God says more than what the culture says. I'm trusting God more than what the temptation says to me. Because, you see, the root of temptation to us is saying, don't trust the Lord, don't trust His Word, go trust what the temptation is saying. If you go out here, see, what David, that night, on the top of that castle wall, what he believed in was not the Word of God, he trusted the the lust, he trusted the temptation. This is going to bring me more satisfaction in life than obeying the Lord and following the Lord. His trust changed. So what I'm saying here is that when I value His Word, when I guard His Word, I'm trusting His Word more than I am myself, the culture, anything else. Third, when I follow His way, when I guard His Word in my heart, I am being caught up into a purpose higher than my life. I'm being caught up into His purpose and His will that's in His Word. Now when he translates it here, he says... Guard your heart according to His Word. What is the idea of the Word? What is this Word that we're supposed to? You say, well, it's the Bible, and it is, but let me get a little bit more definitive about that. The Word of God are the ideas and the thoughts of God. It's what God is thinking and what God is saying on subjects and places in my life. Here's the mistake a lot of people make. They think the only thing God thinks about in our lives is religion. So pretty much just God thinks about stuff about we ought to be in church on a Sunday morning, we ought to listen to a sermon, etc. But the only thing God thinks about is religion. Let me tell you something. God thinks about every part of your life. 
God's got something to say about every part of our lives. And it's good stuff. And it's eternal truth that we need to live in. Take money, for example. The book of Proverbs is loaded with admonitions about money. If you and I would follow the principles of how to handle money, and I'm not just talking about giving to the Lord's work. I'm talking about how to handle money, period. If we would follow what the Bible teaches on that, we wouldn't, most of us wouldn't be getting the financial messes we get into because of the sound counsel of the Word of God on the issue of money. God's got something to say about every part of your life. And let me share a little story with you on that. When I had graduated from seminary, I was in my first pastorate. I didn't have a, uh, a girlfriend. wasn't dating anybody. You want to talk about hard time getting to date, trying to be a single guy and a pastor of a church. You want to scare women off, just tell them that you're a pastor and they'll run in the other direction as fast and hard as they can. They think you're going to lay hands on them and fill them with the Holy Spirit or something. I don't know. But anyway, scared of you. So I sat in my office one day. No one was at the church and I just prayed a simple prayer to the Lord. I said, God, you know I'm not dating anybody, which means I'm not going to get married to anybody and you're not going to drop somebody in out of the roof here. So I just want to pray a simple prayer. Lord, would you give me a girlfriend. And would you give me a girlfriend that's someone who loves you and loves your church? And Lord, it wouldn't hurt if she's pretty. <laughs> I'm going to throw that one in there, Lord. Am I, am I going to ask? I might as well just throw it all in there. I said, it will not hurt. She's pretty. Well, about a week or so later, I was thumbing through the church directory of my home church in Richmond, and I ran across this name of this girl named Helen Carrier. And I thought, I remember her from back in the days in the singles department at, at Bonaire, uh, Bonaire Baptist in Richmond. And I thought, uh, I wonder if she's married or if she might be available. So uh, I, I called the pastors in the church there to check the situation out. And one of the men said, pastors said to me, she, she's single. I don't think she's dating anybody. Give her a phone call. And my home pastor told me, he says, I'm coming to preach revival in your church. You better have taken her out at least one time before uh, I get there to preach that revival. And I said, yes, sir. Well, to make a long story short, Helen and I met. We began dating. And uh, I can't remember what point it was. I went back to my office and I sat down and I said, God, I asked you to give me someone who loved you. She does. I asked you to give me someone to love your church. She does. And I asked you to give me somebody who's pretty and she's a knockout. And God, you just answered all of my requests. And we've been married now for pushing 30 years. But what I discovered was in that area of my life, God had something to say. And I like what God had to say. And I have enjoyed what God said for the last almost 30 years. And I want to say to you, when you listen to the Lord and follow Him and listen to what He's got to say... What he says is good stuff. Now, sometimes we don't always like what God has to say to us, but he says, listen to me, because what i got to say is good stuff. The message from God, his word, is delivered with his authority. It's made effective by his power. He will see that his word accomplishes what he wants. Next, what is the word of God? Oh, folks, I can't stress this enough. The word of God is crystallized in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The deity of Jesus, the humanity of Jesus. Now, follow me on what I'm going to tell you. If this, work, if this book to you is nothing, if it's nothing to us but rules and guidelines, most of us won't go the distance with it. 
If it's just a book of rules, I'm supposed to do this and do that, not do this and not do that, most of us aren't going to go the distance with it. Even though if we intellectually know, we won't go the distance. Why? Because we don't have the relationship that goes with the direction. You see, Jesus is the Word of God because in Him is the relationship. In Him, it is not just don't do this and do that. It is a warm, growing, close relationship with Jesus Christ. And the reason I want to obey, and the reason He forms and shapes who I am to obey Him and walk with Him, is as I walk with Jesus, I fall progressively more in love with Jesus. Oh, let me share this truth with you, and I just can't see this enough, folks. When you're a little kid and you learn about Jesus and you sing Jesus loves me and you begin to fall in love with Jesus, that is great. When you get to be a teenager and you're going through adolescence and you're experiencing Him as a teenager and you start singing other songs, you're falling more in love with Jesus. When you get into your college years, you have opportunity to form more in love with Jesus as you are discovering different places in your life. As you move into young adulthood and begin to contemplate marriage and so forth, it's another opportunity to go deeper with Him and to form, fall more in love with Him. And then as you move into middle age and life begins to change and you're walking around sometimes in confusion as a middle-aged person, you don't know where you're coming and where you're going. It's another opportunity, even in the confusion, to love Him more because he begins to clean and clear things out. When you get to be in your senior years, you look back and you say, he's been so good to me. He's been so faithful to me. He has blessed me. And I am discovering in these senior years who he is. And I am more in love with him now than I was before. And then when you breathe your last breath and step over to the other side, you take your first glimpse. And it's not going to be the pearly gates. It is going to be the Lord Jesus Christ and his glory. And his love will explode in you once again. The whole journey of our existence is to be a journey of a growing love for Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus walked up to people and didn't, he didn't say, here's the rule book. Obey it. What did he say? Two words. Follow me. What was he saying? This is about relationship. It is about relationship with me. And when you follow me, you'll automatically not do the stuff you shouldn't do. And when you love me, you won't mess your life up with sin. And when you love me, you'll walk with me. Just follow me. Fall in love with me. And fall more in love with me every day. Are there difficult days in following him? You better believe it. But you know, I found that the most difficult times tend to deepen my love for him. Now, how do we get at God's positioning system? Let me give you several ideas, four quickly. Number one, live in the promises of the Word of God. Live in the promises of the Word of God. Let's just look at a few. Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's a promise. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Live in His promise every day. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7 Cast all your care upon Him. Why? Because His promise, He cares for you. Hurl your anxieties, your worries upon Jesus because He cares for you. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 6. The Lord disciplines those whom He loves. Live in the promises of His Word. Number two, live in the realities of His name. We've seen this in recent weeks. The personal name of God in the Old Testament, Yahweh. It means the God who is there. 
It is the idea of His name there that He will be for us in any situation in life what we need Him to be. When you need Him to comfort, He's there to comfort. When you need discipline, He's there to discipline. When you need guidance, He's there to guide. You name it, He knows how to fit the situation because He's Lord over the situation. Live in the realities of His name. Three, go on the offensive with His Word. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17 Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Bible instructs us to take the Word and use it as a sword. Go on the offense with the Word. Our job is not to sit back and just get sucker punched by the devil and hope that we make it through the day. The call of God to us as individuals and the call of God to us as the church is to take the Word of God and to aggressively move out knowing the Word, living the Word, and quoting the Word of God. That's why when Jesus was tempted, what did he do? He came back with quotes of Scripture every time. And what did he do? It sent the devil packing. That's the reason Satan wants to keep you away from the Word. Because he knows if we know the Word and we're living in the Word and we're quoting the Word, we send him packing. Stay on the offense with the Word. And finally, number four, be obedient to the Word. Be obedient to the Word. Even when you don't feel like being obedient, even when you don't understand the obedience, be obedient to what the Word of God teaches us. Now, how do you incorporate the Word of God into your life? Let me give you some tips. Number one, I like to call this grabbing a scripture all day long. Grabbing a scripture all day long. Keep some kind of copy of God's Word close to you. And before you leave to go to work, grab a scripture. It may be the same scripture. When you get ready to eat lunch, grab a scripture. Before you eat dinner, grab a scripture. Before you go to bed, the last thing you do before you go to bed so you can meditate on it is grab a prescription. You don't have to read chapters. I mean, if you want to, that's great. But what I'm trying to say is find ways to fill the Word throughout the day. So it's not just in the morning, not just in the evening, but it's sprinkled throughout your day. Number two, oh, this is a tough one. Memorize Scripture. I don't get too many amens on that one. All right. Memorize Scripture. Let me tell you why to memorize Scripture. Because you're not going to always have your Bible with you. You're not going to always have it on your phone or your phone there to access. But when you memorize a verse of Scripture, you just gave the Holy Spirit something He can bring to your memory. You just gave the Holy Spirit something that's in your mind and in your heart that when you need it, He will quicken it. And believe me, if you memorize passages of Scripture, I can guarantee you, you're going to find times God's going to bring that to your mind just when you need it. Three, study the life of Jesus. And as you study the life of Jesus and Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John ask questions like, what is He doing, why is He doing it, and how is He doing it? What's He doing, why is He doing it, And how is he doing it? And then the final thing is find a life of somebody who's living this book and study it too. I've always tried to keep some mentors in my life who are living this book. So when it talks about the fruits of the Spirit, I see those fruits in their life. When it talks about the gifts of the Spirit, I see some of those gifts in their life. But it comes alive in looking at people who are living the Word in front of them. God wants His Word to be the positioning system of our lives. It's our choice. Are we going to be like Judas, Word of God all around us, and ignore it? Are we going to be like John, looking at Jesus, falling more in love with Jesus, 
and knowing it is to stand before Jesus. And he says, I want to give you this calling. I want to give you this ministry. I want to give you this opportunity because you keep your focus on me. Let's pray. Father, we want to ask that you would help us to, Lord, not just have Bibles laying around and feeling good about having Bibles laying around and ignoring them, but, Lord, to take your word and to open it and to read it, even if it seems confusing and overwhelming to us, Lord, to do so knowing that you have promised that the Holy Spirit will teach us and guide us in life through your word. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed in just a moment as we sing. If you are here today and you need to give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to invite you as we sing to walk the aisle of this church and say. Today I want to give my life to Jesus. Today I want to serve him. Today I want to follow him. Today I want to walk with him. I've heard his words, follow me. Today I want to say to him, Jesus, I will follow you. I accept the invitation to a relationship with you. And I invite you to come. If you're here and you feel that the Lord is speaking and saying, I want you to be part of this church. To be part of this church family and to walk with these folks. And serving the Lord and, and getting the gospel out to people. Then I invite you to come. If you need to be baptized and you sense the Lord's leading you in that direction, we invite you to come. And if God's speaking to you and saying, I want you in calling you a calling to uh, the ministry and you will surrender to that calling, whatever direction it takes, then I invite you to come. Father, may we in these moments together, Lord, make the decisions that we need to make to live out the calling that you are giving us whether it's to salvation or to church membership or to ministry or, Lord, in a decision we need to make in life. In your name we pray. Amen.